another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz, and my guest today is Bob Berg. He is a sought-after speaker at company leadership and sales conferences on topics at the core of his series of Go-Giver books. And that's what we're going to talk about today, a new Go-Giver book called The Go-Giver Influencer, a little story about a most persuasive idea. So welcome back, Bob. Hey, thanks, John. Always great to be with you. So we were talking before we got started. This is fourth in this series, and the third one that is a a, a parable. Parable. How, how, how have the? I'm always intrigued by the story format because I actually think it's harder <laughs> to to do well. And and how have you felt the the parable has served you? Well, I, I agree. It is harder. And so I, I got very lucky by knowing John David Mann. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he was the he was the uh, he was the editor in chief of a magazine I used to write for years ago. And so when the idea hit for the go giver and making it into a parable, I asked John right away if he would be the uh, lead writer and storyteller. So, you know, I'm a how to guy. <laughs> So yeah, it's, but, but yes, I, I, I agree with you, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's worked out well because I think parables being stories, I think stories connect on a, a really heart level. And, uh, and I think it's, I think we can have a, a premise that we want to get across. And when it's, when it's put into story form, I think people just relate to it. I know I love reading business parables Yeah. and, uh, you know, I, I just grow so much from reading them. So, yeah. Well, and I, and I think, you know, like a true story, you can put, you can have a bad guy and you can have tension <laughs> right. and you can have, you know, you can have things that maybe keep it a little more interesting than some of the how-to stuff can. Exactly. Yes. So uh, in this book, we're introduced to two main characters and uh, kind of set up maybe the conflict that they have that you're really trying to resolve in this book. Sure. Well, one guy, Jackson, he's an entrepreneur and he's kind of a reluctant entrepreneur that he's good at something, has a love for something, but really not a lot of business savvy and doesn't realize that that's two different things. And so, uh, so he's, he's despite himself, he's been able to sort of build up a following with this brand of delicious, really healthy dog and cat food. And then there's his counterpart, uh, Jillian, who is the buyer for a huge chain of pet supply stores. He would obviously like them to carry his line in all their stores, but they really want his food because it's really growing and they want to get there before the competition. It would seem like a match made in heaven, but it turns out to be anything but that. And you've seen that happen, right? You know, uh, and, and and every conversation, rather than getting closer to us, to a solution, they seem to grow further apart and, and neither one can understand the thought process of the other. And it's just maddening to them. And they individually both, uh, uh, come upon a couple of mentors who sort of then guide them through the process. And there's even a, a twist when it comes to that as well. Yeah, that's actually one of the things when I was reading through it, you know, the title is uh, Influencer, the, the Go-Giver Influencer. But I think what's interesting is it's as much about being influenced as it mm-hmm. is about influencing, or at least that's how I read it. And I, yeah. I think in my career, some of the people that have influenced me the most probably didn't even realize it. Oh, I, I think that's probably true uh, w- with me as well, because we we tend to, you know, as we often say that that in a sense, influences is about what you say, but more important than what you say, of course, is how you say it. But even more important than what you say and how you say it is who you are. And that's really where character comes into play 
right? And and we're so influenced by people's characters uh, that you know we just want to either emulate them. And and I think Jim Rohn once said, "From some people we learn what not to do, and from others we learn what to do." And I think that's 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 true. But when there's a person of high character that we are able to observe. Uh, wow, we can learn some great lessons and become a better person. And yes, they often don't even realize it. Well, and I would, I would say that they're not even trying to influence. Right. Oh, you know, exactly. I mean, exactly. and I think that's a big part of, of this because we've all seen people who are trying to influence us. And sometimes <laughs> that actually has a negative appeal. Yeah, especially when there's an attachment to doing so, yeah. right? Yeah, exactly. I'm curious in, in, in the parable process. Um, do you sit around kind of like a fiction writer might and say, oh, I know, we'll we'll have it be a, you know, a pet chain and then we'll do that. I mean, do you kind of map all that out before you start <laughs> going or did that just kind of come to you as you were writing? No, that that we knew we wanted to 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 do some kind of story that involved animals. Uh, you know, John and his John and his wife are both big animal lovers. And and, uh, you know, I'm a animal fanatic. And uh, and so, yeah, we we wanted to do something in, in that line. You know, it was really cool because we both love animals and, you know, entrepreneurship is a, a love of both of ours and the whole thing. And so it was it was great to be able to put those into and in, put that all into the story. Here's a you ready for the loaded question. Sure. Actually, no, I don't know if I'm ready or not, but I will do my best. And I'm just glad we're friends. Is this a sales book? I think only in the way that that everything, in a sense, is sales. Right. I mean, when you think of selling an idea, right, you know, whether you're selling a product, a service, an idea, a philosophy, a way of being, uh, you know, to me, see, I look at sales as a good thing. I look at it as a positive thing. Oh, sure. I, I, I see articles by people that say, you know, sell without selling or yeah. don't sell, serve. Well, yeah. I believe selling is serving. Yeah, yeah. And so, <laughs> so I, I would, you know, say, is it sales? Yeah. And I like that. <laughs> well, and I, and I think when you add the word influence, because I mean, I, you think about how you can apply that. I mean, I hope that I've had a positive influence on my children. Just by sure. them, you know, watching how I've gone about my business. And so mm -hmm. I think that that, you know, you, like you said, you bring that into every situation possible. Yeah. Yeah. So in this book, let's go back to in, you know, we could we could talk in generalities about this idea. But in the book, where do the characters go wrong? Well, they're both so involved in their own dramas and in their own wants that they're really not taking the other person's needs into consideration. Yeah. And isn't that really what we see at the basis of all sales failure? Sure. Uh, you know, John, I know you speak at a lot of sales conferences and conventions and, you know, and a lot of times when I do, I'll start out by saying, and I, I don't say this in a dogmatic fashion, but I, in kind of a joking way, but I'll say, nobody is going to buy from you because you have a quota to meet. <laughs> right. Right. They're not going to buy from you because you need the money and they're not even going to buy from you because you're a really nice person yep. who thinks they should have this. They're going to buy from you only because they believe that they will be better off by doing so than by not doing so. And that's why we as the salesperson, as the influencer, the persuader, what have you, we've got to understand that it, when it comes down to it, it isn't about us. It's about discovering what that other person needs, wants and desires. Then we can match the benefits of our product or service or our idea or whatever with with what they need, want and desire. And that's the only way they're going to make that decision. 
Yeah, no, there's a really common theme, um, and you address it in the book. A lot of times, I think when people negotiate, there's always like, well, you're going to have to compromise, or somebody's going to have to compromise to make this deal. And how does that get in the way? Yeah, well, and certainly there's a, a time and place for negotiate uh, for uh, not negotiate for uh, compromise, but we don't want that to be the the the, the first option for someone. Uh, one of the characters in the in, in the uh, book, Coach George, tells uh, Jillian, his protege, that compromise comes from the Greek word for nobody actually gets what they want. <laughs> Now, it, it probably doesn't really come from that word, but maybe it should because, yeah, I think compromise by its very nature is lose-lose. Both sides are giving up something in order to appease the other person or get things done. Uh, what we want people to to go for is collaboration, not compromise. Mm -hmm. Collaboration means you're expanding the pie for everyone. Uh, you know, the, the, the key in this is that we want people to get the results they want when dealing with others and in such a way that everyone comes away a winner, that we can get the results we want while making that other person feel genuinely good about themselves, uh, about the situation and about you. So we've all had the experience of buying a car. Um, and you know, obviously it doesn't always happen this way, but you know, the kind of cliche is that, you know, you're, you, you want it and you want it for this price, but you get emotionally attached to that red little number, you know, out there. And, uh, and so all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, <laughs> you're getting taken. You're so, you feel like almost, you know, because you're so emotionally involved and you talk about that component a lot. I mean, a lot of negotiations get derailed because people can't stay calm. Right. Well, the first, and that's why the very first principle that is that is shared um, is to master your emotions. Um, the the sages asked, "Who is a mighty person?" and answered, "That person who can control their own emotions and make of an enemy or of a potential enemy a friend." But this is where it all begins, John, because it's only when we're in control of our emotions that we're even in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. On the other hand, when we allow someone, based on what they say or do, to push our buttons in such a way that we become uh, you know, agitated or angry or whatever. Now, not only are we par not part of the solution, we're just as much a part of the problem, if not more so than, than they are. And yet, and, and you know, how often do we do that? Sure. And do we, or, or buy something because we feel an emotional pull, even though we shouldn't. Yeah. And the reason why comes down to the fact that we're human beings and we are emotional creatures. Yeah. Uh, we'd like to think we're logical and to a certain extent, of course we are, but we're, we're pretty much emotionally driven. We make major decisions based on emotion and we back up those decisions with logic or we, we rationalize, yeah. which simply means we tell ourselves rational lies. Bless you. And we do that to justify that decision that we either shouldn't have made or what have you. Now, here's the thing. When we say master your emotions, we don't mean deny your emotions. We don't mean forego your emotions. That actually would not be logical, right? Because we are emotional. Mm -hmm. But it means you need to control your emotions rather than your emotions controlling you, or as one of my great mentors, Dondi Scumachi puts it, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. And well, that's you, really the key. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I've seen over the years is, is, you know, a lot of times in a selling situation, it, you know, maybe there's some tension because you really want the deal or, 
you think you do at least. And you know what I've seen uh, many times is when, when you start mastering your emotions, you, you actually start asking the hard questions that might kill the deal, but for the better of everybody. <laughs> and I think that that's right. where I've seen it really go wrong for people. Yeah. And, you know, it all comes down again when you're operating out of a logical base, even though you know that emotions have something to do with it. Uh, and you know, one of the one of the characters, the judge tells uh, tells Jackson, make believe that you're a company. OK, you're a company and you have a board of directors. That's your emotions. You have a CEO. That's your logical mind. Now, the CEO certainly takes the advice of their board of directors. Right. But the decision needs to be made by the CEO, the logic part. That's how you know you're on the right track. My uh, father was a uh, long time, you know, he, back when people had gotten their car and went and around sold this town square and you know, uh -huh. that kind of sales guy. <coughs> Excuse me. And he used to always uh, tell me that the, the biggest sales skill is empathy. That, mm. that, you know, instead of coming, showing up and saying, here's what I want, that you got the sale by being better at listening to what they wanted. Um, right. and you, you address that directly. In fact, I, I didn't write the quote down, but something about, you know, the better listener wins, um, you know, was was the gist of it. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah. And there's there's two aspects. One is, uh, as George told Jillian, when you listen to someone, don't just hear, you know, just don't don't make it just a physical act. Listen with your entire body. Actually, what he says is listen with the back of your neck. And and actually, John came up with that. And I had to have him explain that to me. And, and once he did, it's now become one of my favorite sayings and that, and, and try to practice this sometimes. And, and I wouldn't do it with a, a prospective customer or client or someone. I, I would do it first with someone who you already, you know, you're a, fa a family member or a friend. When you're in a conversation, really lean into the listening, not just physically, but emotionally listen with your arms, listen with your legs, listen with the back of your neck, actually get your entire being into listening to this person. And first of all, watch how much better of an understanding you have for what they're really feeling and watch how much they appreciate that. And they can, and they can tell. And, you know, when it comes to, uh, empathy and, and the, the definition of such is the identification with or vicarious experiencing of another person's feelings. Now the, it's a great definition, but the challenge with that is we don't necessarily know how that other person feels. We come from different belief systems, different ways of looking at the world. So I don't think empathy means you need to know exactly how they feel. I think empathy is communicating that. You may not understand exactly how they feel, but you understand they're feeling something and that this something may be problematic, may be distressful, maybe what have you, and that you are there to work with them. And it might be, again, going back to what you said earlier, it might be what you say, but it also might just be the presence you have that, that, um, that resonance yeah. with them. Well, and, and yeah, in a lot of selling environments, I mean, let's face it, the objectives are I want your money and the other objective is I don't want to spend any money. I mean, so we, <laughs> we start off quite often um, in completely different camps. And I, right. have, I have discovered over the years being willing to ask, well, what would that look like? Why? Tell me more about that um, is, is really kind of how you get there because I, think, I do think a lot of people are a little, sometimes a little guarded or if you're in a situation where you... You couldn't have empathy because you don't know that much about that person. I think we have to be willing to ask what maybe feel like uncomfortable questions. 
Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we need to ask those questions and we need to, to listen uh, and listen, not just to be able to have an answer as much as listen, just to really be able to understand that person and, and get what they're coming from. Yeah. One thing you do in the book that I think is kind of a neat vehicle, um, you have the story, of course, um, but then at the back of the book, you have a discussion guide. So it mm-hmm. might be like a group might use as a discussion guide. And then you have a Q&A with the authors. And I'm curious if that's something that you've done in the past. I, I didn't notice it if you had, but I, I found it really useful. Well, the first time that the the first uh, printing of the, the original Go-Giver, we didn't have that. But then when we brought it back, uh, we did an expanded uh, edition. The story stayed the same, but we brought it back with a, a discussion guide and a, a Q&A because we found that so many people were using the book as whether in schools, as part of, you know, religious discussions within companies, uh, on sports teams, you know, all these different places. And, you know, there were a lot of times that when we would hear from these people that I kind of felt that maybe we needed to give a little bit more of a deeper explanation of what we meant. Cause you know, in a story, you can only say so much. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so we did that with, we then came back and did that with the go-giver with the go-giver leader. And then for this one, the go-giver influencer, we decided to do the same thing. And, and, uh, we think that's going to be helpful again with book club discussions and other, other types. And I think that especially, like you said, in the parable, I mean, there's almost, you know, there's some metaphor that is right, necessary, right. right? And so yeah. so being able to then maybe, you know, spell it out for somebody is going to help somebody appreciate it, understand it, go deeper in it. So I, I, I thought it, I thought it's a neat technique. Thank you. Um, so one of the things that I kind of want to end with is um, because I think – I think this might sum up a lot of what you're uh, getting across here is that true influence is more about, you know, pulling influence rather than pushing. And I yeah. think that that's a, I don't know if it's even very subtle. I mean, but I think it's certainly counter to what a lot of people interpret influence as. Sure. We like to say that, that influence, the essence of influence is pull as opposed to push. You you never hear someone say, wow, that Dave or that Mary, she is so influential. She has a lot of push with people. (laughs) No, she has, she sure is pushy, man. That is just great. No, she has a lot of, a lot of pull. And I think that's what influence is. It's pull. It's an attraction, right? Great influencers attract people first to themselves and then to their ideas. Sure. So Bob, where can uh, people find out more about the book and your work, uh, really all of your work. Thank you. They can visit thegogiver.com without the hyphen, uh, thegogiver.com. And on the homepage, it will have uh, the new book and they can just click on that. It will take them to where they can get two chapters if they'd like and read those. And if they like where it's headed, they can click right through to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or, you know, get the book wherever, uh, wherever books are sold. That's right. Well, by two <laughs> chapters, you will clearly have them hooked. Thank you. (laughs) Well, Bob, thanks for joining us. As always, it's great to to speak with you, and hopefully we'll see you soon someday out there on the road. Uh, John, I love the work you do. I'm one of your biggest fans, my brother. 